The Outspoken Bible. Conversations about the Word. A podcast from Scottish Bible Society. Hello and welcome to Season 5, Episode 10 of The Outspoken Bible. I'm Fiona Stewart. I'm joined by Neil Glover and Jen Robertson. Hello. Morning. Morning. How are you doing? You all right? Both well? Yeah, enjoying the sunshine. Yeah. It's good, isn't it? I mean, by the time this goes out, it'll probably be, you know... Well, we've seen that for a few weeks. It's true. It's I true. Sad I keep for the river. Tell us more. Is it low? It's very, very low. Yeah, yeah. It just it just feels like it's a poor faint trickle of mm. its usual self. Mm. I also hurt myself paddle boarding because I got caught oh, in a rock and then Ooh. landed on a whole bunch of other rocks. Oh, that's not good. And somebody said to me, "Why weren't you wearing your elbow pads?" I forgot that was a thing. I didn't know you were meant to when you paddleboard. I know. I mean, the good people of the south side of Glasgow who were out in force at the White Lock the other night. They weren't wearing elbow pads. Some of them looked. Like, some of them took so long to pump up their their yeah. um, <laughs> barely in the water. It was you that once talked about arriving on a beach in Loch Lomond a number of years ago, and it was just the sound of air pumps. Yes, it's true. <laughs> one after the other. It's the sound of summer. No longer the lawnmower, just the just the air pumps. Psst, uh, psst, psst. <laughs> and the Sorry. slight noise of people feeling sweaty and moaning. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's why I like running because you just go out the door and run. Do it. There's not some lots of things to prepare. Oh you know? yeah. Uh, welcome to today's episode. So my pleas, you'll <laughs> to be glad. Wetsuit weekly. That's right, exactly. My pleas, by the way, have been heard around correspondence. We've got loads of correspondence. In fact, we've got so much correspondence that I'm going to hold some back for next episode. So people who've um, been in touch about their podcast recommendations. I've received them. Thank you for those. We'll talk about that next time. And if anybody else still wants to tell us what else they listen to, we would love to hear from you. So that's outspoken at scottishbiblesociety.org for that. It's Christian podcasts that they listen to, isn't no, it? No, anything. I'm oh, interested right. in anything. I mean, yeah, Christian and, Christian and faith-based, if you like. Yeah, I'm interested in that, but I'm also interested just generally in what people are yeah. listening to. Yeah. Okay. However, our uh, the bulk of our correspondence this week is on the competition Things are hotting up. So first up, we've got an email from Terry Taylor. Now, Terry writes, I'm just going to read the whole thing because it's a lovely email. I'm enjoying the series on Acts. I'm now enjoying retirement and looking forward to whatever God has in store for me in the future. Presently on holiday in the beautiful Isle of Harris. Neil, you must venture to the beautiful Western Isles. I've heard that Harris is amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thinking about the connection of the characters and how they're brought into the story, I think we can see that they all have an unexpected role in the big story. So Bilha bears a son for Rachel. Jethro points out to Moses that he needs to do things differently. Aaron is appointed to speak on behalf of Moses. Balaam is the wicked prophet that God uses to speak blessing on Israel. Joshua is the one who leads the people into the promised land, not Moses. Rahab, unexpected act of faith when she takes a risk for what she believes about Israel's God. I might be way off here, but I have enjoyed reading about these characters. And if I'm way off, I remain convinced that God's purposes cannot be thwarted, not by anything we do or don't do. Isaiah 55, 8 following. Keep up the good work and every blessing on all you do. Neil, is Terry way off? It's not the answer that's on my card. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, yes, she is. Well, no, what she says there is brilliant, actually. I really love that. No, Terry's the she. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Well, if it's a Terry, I know. I think it's it's Terry. Yeah, Terry, who used to be minister in Aberfoyle. Well, apologies, Terry, if I've already called you by wrong pronoun. <laughs> <laughs> so, sorry. 
Um, so not not quite right. Okay, so here's another piece of correspondence. Let's just see what this is. This is from globetrotting loyal listener Andrew Robertson. Now, before I read out Andrew's email, I do have to make it clear that we didn't have T's and C's, terms and conditions on this competition. <laughs> and normally in those terms and conditions, you would have that thing where it precludes family members from taking part. <laughs> Uh, so we didn't have I, I that. Always, I always felt sorry for people who were related to someone who was a, a cornflake maker because yes. they always appeared on the side of cornflakes packets. And I thought, all oh, these poor Kellogg's kids. I know. Or Cadbury's people. I was yeah. Thinking. Yes. Well, so any uh, anyone who's a relative of an SBS uh, employee is fully entitled to enter this competition. So without further ado, here's what Andrew writes. Hey, how are you? I was going to, I was tempted, by the way, to do it in Andrew's voice, but I'll not. Hey, how are you? I've been catching up on the podcast and thinking about Glover's Others. Is the link that there is one character selected from each book of the Bible and that they're in that order? So representing the book, it would be Bilhah from Genesis, Jethro from Exodus, Aaron from Leviticus, Balaam from Numbers, Joshua from Deuteronomy, Rahab from Joshua, Jethro's daughter from Judges and Boaz's relative from Ruth. And then he goes on to say, for First Samuel, you might chat about Hannah or Abigail. And for Second Samuel, hopefully Obed-Edom, because he's my favourite Bible, well, sorry, one of my favourite Bible characters. May this, maybe this is too simple. Blessings, Andrew. Neil. Because Andrew's correct. Yay! That's who it was. It's one from each book of the Bible. And, and I know this isn't very uh, common in this podcast, but in the old traditional order of the books, as opposed to various reorderings that we've gone for. Um, but yeah, no, it's one from every every book going Genesis, Exodus, Numbers. So it actually was quite simple on one it level. It was, yeah. And are you yeah. surprised that it took a wee while for people to... Yeah, no, I was, I was surprised. Well, but very pleasantly surprised because people came up with so many things that were so interesting. So that thing that we... What Terry's just said about they all had a key role to play and then what John and Christine Hodge had put about uh, the role of grace and different kinds of grace. So yeah. Great, so I loved it. Brilliant. We should have more competitions. I'm more competitions. sorry now because we've got another, I don't know, 56 books to go through before we can have another competition about this. <laughs> That's true. Well, anyway, congratulations to Andrew. We will be sending Elaine Duncan across the Atlantic with your signed copy of Love, Death and Resurrection and her international <laughs> driving license. Maybe not. Andrew's in America at the moment, isn't he? He is in America, he but America. he'll be back in Scotland in September. Oh, well, we'll maybe wait till then to, to award him with his prize. Maybe we'll just wait till you're back in the UK, Andrew. It has to be the half hour journey, the half hour journey of his choice. Yes. yes and I'd like true. to say, Andrew and I have had no conversation, as his mother, I've had no conversation with him about the competition. Do, <laughs> do you know why I know that is true? Because your Andrew is one of the most scrupulously honest people you he could is. ever find on the planet. <laughs> yes, and there's absolutely no way at all he would written in and claimed yes. yeah. if that's what happened. He is a man of no guile. And um, I didn't know the answer. So yeah. <laughs> Anyway, that was a highly successful competition. Uh, so ears peeled, ladies and gentlemen, for future competitions. Uh, but before we move on, there, I have another email, and this is from a long-term listener, a regular email, Minister to the Great, William Wilson. That's because he's Jen's minister. So your friends who email in. Uh, he's talking to us about how he's using the idea of Glover's Others this summer. So he writes, uh, Hi Fiona, Neil and Jen. Thanks as always for the podcast. Good to have the old team reunited. I'm currently around one episode behind, but I appreciated your highlighting of the dark side of acts on your first podcast in the series. That wasn't a thought that had previously occurred to me, but now that you've stated it, it seems blindingly obvious. I thought it only fair to acknowledge inspiration for a summer series, not least because Jen will hear it and might justifiably cry foul if I didn't. 
Burnside Blair Beth are going to be treated to a series this summer on B-list characters in the Bible. William, if you're interested in a jingle, I'm available. Um, <laughs> Your jingles are legendary. <laughs> they're legendary. Uh, any similarities he says to the Outspoken podcast will be entirely unconditioned. Unco- sorry, can't say that. Entirely uncoincidental. Uh, the list isn't yet compiled, so I won't necessarily be going for the same characters as Neil uses. When thinking about that, what I should be doing over the summer months, it seems such a gift in terms of continuity, but also a series where people can dip in and out around holidays, etc. Thanks for your ongoing work. God bless, William. Thanks, go. William. Yeah, nice to hear from you. I'm trying to find. I'm trying to find a way of, you know, you came up with Glover's others. Is there a way that William could like make it? I can't. Find a, you know Will Shills or something. I can't find a way of <laughs> linking his name with it. Okay, sh- well, have a have a have a have a think as we're going on. Maybe we'll revisit that at the very no, end. I'm subcontract- <laughs> I'm subcontracting you've got with you because yeah. you're good at that kind of thing. Yeah, well, yeah, I'll have a think about that. There's got to be something around the name Will, I think. Um, so just one more piece of correspondence for this time. I'll hold back the rest for, for next time. This is just a quick hello from the Reverend Tim Sinclair, or as Jen calls him, Timothy Sinclair. We can have to create our own we... clergy corner. I know we really do. Jen was saying that before we came, before we, we hit record. I was saying I've got this email from from Tim, and she was like, "I call him Timothy." Because <laughs> I, I remember him. Remember, remember as a small boy. <laughs> so anyway, Tim uh, from Partick, that's relevant to what he's about to say. He has the following to say: Hi, Fiona, Neil, and Jen. I continue to enjoy your conversations, and thrill was thrilled to hear mention of dusty <laughs> church halls in Partick. <laughs> Tim, by the way, is a minister at Partick Trinity Church um, in connection with God's work. And then he puts, often it's the damp smell rather than the dust that makes an impression. True, <laughs> yeah. True. And then he's actually shared uh, a sermon, not his own sermon, but a sermon on Peter's sermon on Acts 2, which was worth a read. And I certainly had a look at that, Tim, um, yesterday and found it very engaging. Uh, enjoyed perusing that. It was all about the, having the right time and the right place for mm. preaching. I will forward it on to you too, so you can read that. Tim, by the way, is quite keen for us to come and do an Outspoken Live. And, and we should do it in a in a church hall in Partick. Uh-huh. I mean, that would be excellent, wouldn't it? Yeah. And yeah. then all of Clergy Cor- Corner can come and join us. Um, yeah, so <laughs> if we manage to And then they that... could all get driven by Aline at the end. <laughs> <laughs> a flight of fancy. Um, so if we manage to arrange that into a dusty or a damp church hall in Partick, we will let you know, listeners, and you can come and find us. Meanwhile, now that we know the order of how it's done, it's time to hear about our next B-lister. Who on earth are they? Where do they fit in? And what's their story? Glover's Others. B-list characters you really don't want to miss. Neil, who is your other today? Inspired by Andrew, I'm going to go for Obed-Edom, the <laughs> Gittite. Now, the thing about Obed-Edom, he only appears, well, he appears in First Chronicles, which is kind of borrowing the story from 2 Samuel 6. So the story is that the Ark of the Covenant has a, been has been away, and a, David wants to bring it back up to Jerusalem, and you have the famous incident where, I think it's Uzzah, is it Uzzah, who leans out and... Uh-huh. and you're only meant to carry the ark, but they put it on a cart, which is very disrespectful. And Uzzah uh, leans against it, and he he dies. I always feel very sorry for him. Sorry, know, sorry to interrupt you. No, yeah. Anyway, uh-huh. yeah, because it feels like he was just trying to protect it, but it's a picture of the holiness of God. David's devastated, so they leave the the ark in Obed Edom's house, and a uh, Obed Edom is is blessed. Um. Now, it says he's a Gittite. I should have looked this up. I don't know if they're Israelites or not. Um, but what was really interesting to me 
is that Andrew called him a hero. And I thought to myself, what did he do that was heroic? I mean, all he did was allow the Ark to be there. Now, maybe he had said, please bring it here. Maybe um, he had thrown open the doors. I don't know. It doesn't tell us. All it tells us is that he received the gift and he was blessed with the presence of God in him. And it, it got me thinking that sometimes the biggest calling on our life is simply to receive the gift, not to seek to do anything, not to seek to have an action, but to receive. And in that he's blessed. And I'm really delighted that Andrew named him as a hero of the faith. Thank you very much. Thank you. Was he an Edomite? Well, um, Obed-Edom means servant of Edom, so that would suggest, yes, that um, he was an Edomite, so he was a foreigner. Hmm. Yeah, and he received the ark and he was blessed. I wonder if that's why Andrew liked him. I mean, a follow-up email would be yeah. would be of interest. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sorry. Um, I've just looked up a Gittite. So a Gittite is someone who comes from Gath. So that's um, the same place I think like Goliath came from, wasn't it? So he's yes. uh, he's one of the Philistines. So he's an, he is a foreigner, and in a sense, he becomes the kind of opposite of Goliath because he receives the gift of the presence of God rather than disdain it. Okay. I, I mean, I would like to just pause the p- podcast now and go and look him up. Where are we finding him? Second 2 Samuel, Samuel 6. He's also in First Chronicles, I think, maybe first okay. or second, but 2 Samuel 6, verses 11 and 12. He's only mentioned in two verses. So he is, a, he is a classic B-sider. Yeah, yeah. But has an essential role to play. Yeah. Love when you delve into these and then you suddenly learn all sorts of things. Just from two or three verses, you can yeah. you can gain a lot. Names mean so much, don't they? Yeah, yeah. Uh, brilliant. Okay, well, today we pick up the narrative in Acts from where we left off last time with Peter and John released from prison, having been warned not to say any more about this Jesus. And we're reading Acts chapter 4, verse 32 through to chapter 6, verse 7. And things are about to take a darker turn for the early believers. So as usual, if you haven't read Acts 4, 5 and 6 for a wee while, then now's your opportunity to pause the podcast and do that. Jen, do you want to kick us off? What what are you making of Ananias and Sapphira? Well, it starts off so nicely, this reading. You know, everybody's one in heart and soul and they're all selling their possessions and looking out for each other. Um and you've got, is it Barnabas, who's, mm-hmm. is that the right name? Yeah. Barnabas, who, who is, he, he's selling everything and giving it all to the people or giving it all to God. And then and would literally turn the page if you're using a real book. And um, there's this just horrible story of Annas and Sapphira. Um, and horrible in, because of what happens to them. Horrible because I just find reading it, I, I feel, I just want to rush on. I, I I don't want to stop and deal with this mm-hmm. in my own life. Mm-hmm. Like the lies, deceit that maybe have been part of my life and the hypocrisy. And you know, I just, I feel like I don't really want to deal with this because what is God saying to me if this is yeah. what happened to these people? And mm-hmm. then also the wee bits like, Safira arrives three hours later and, and nobody's even told her her husband's dead. Um, and then she says, "Oh, I've, I've, I've given all this money to God, but she hasn't really either. She's also been deceiving." And then she dies, and, and just before she dies, they tell her that her husband's dead. And I just, it just seems a bit callous on behalf of mm-hmm. you know, and Peter's behaviour or the the church's behaviour. Why didn't they go and tell her Lewis has happened to your husband? Yeah, it's a it's a very difficult story. I was quite, we're jumping on a wee bit really, but I was quite curious about the fact that Luke records that she doesn't know. 
Because yep. I was thinking, how does he know that she doesn't know? Because it reads as though this all happens very quickly in as much as she comes in, Peter says to her, you know, he asks her the question, she lies. He says, the same's going to happen to you, and she dies. And that's that's it. So so I was kind of curious about about the, the retelling of the story from that point of view. Was it that she had, I don't know, had she separated herself off from people? I don't yeah, know. Why wasn't she there? Why wasn't she there? Yeah. What was going on with that? Yeah, no, I just thought she she doesn't come in and go, where's where's Ananias? Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. you know, well, so, so what I was imagining was I was picturing her coming into the room mm-hmm. and there would be, you know, it's not like normal conversation is going to be going on. Yeah. Oh, hi there, Safira. Oh, by the way, Peter wants to speak to you. Do you know, do yeah. you know what I mean? You, you can yeah. imagine that, that, that a hush has fallen yeah. as she walks into the room. Yeah, so she feels the atmosphere. She feels the atmosphere. There is something. So repeating what Jane said, first of all, it feels quite a pitiless story. Mm-hmm. It, it feels like there's no room for these people to escape from this. I can't help but think that part of it is the contrast between this kind of huge display of common generosity, and then their behaviour being. So such a threat to the values of the church which they've established. So it does seem particularly important. But it, I, I do wonder as well. I'm not trying to trying to escape from the story. There's something about the fact that it's almost the shock that kills them. You know, no, yeah. no point does it say, you know, God killed them or or the Holy Spirit killed. Them. It seems to be that that there is something deeply internal to them. That they they can't they can't cope with the the shock of being discovered or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. I, Neil, I was interested in the fact that you mentioned in your in Glover's others. No, what's it called? Yeah, Glover's others. Yeah. Uh, you met B list. You mentioned um, Isaiah. Yeah, stretching out yeah, and t- the, similar, touching the yeah touching the Ark of the Covenant, and and also the the comparison is drawn with. Aiken, is that how you pronounce yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. So Aiken or Aiken, he's, yeah. he's the person in the, I think it's the conquest of Jericho who steals the fleece, the golden fleece, and then they go and lose a battle and they discover that he's the he's the problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, although... So, and the link being around holiness, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, holiness. It's about the, and, the, the importance of, of man, the maintenance of the holiness of, of, yeah, of the presence of God. I was once involved in a situation where that story was, was in the background where a, a decision was taken which was very, very sharp and the person who was the other end of that still hasn't recovered, I don't think. So it's a tough story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I feel we, sorry, I, it was my fault in the way I asked the question, but we jumped ahead a little bit really and going mm-hmm. straight into, into chapter five. Jen, you mentioned the end of chapter four there. Yeah. I think it might be helpful just to kind of tease out a little bit what was going on there. So, so there wasn't an expectation that everybody would sell everything and come and live in a kind of commune, I don't think, was there? No. I don't I don't think so. I think there were... In fact, does the phrase used, does it... Um, it says from time to time in verse um, 34, people sold. They saw, their, they saw their possessions as everybody. Maybe did I read that somewhere else? Yeah. Um, no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. So there's that sense that because they were obviously having they were meeting in homes, they were meeting in the temple courtyards as well, weren't they? But um, 
it wasn't you know, they all they all just sold everything up and went and lived in the temple or something. They they saw their homes and the other things they had as belonging to everybody. I was wondering when you were talking there, Fiona, about you know we kind of skipped that bit, but there, it's as if um, that bit about this unity of heart and soul mm. is really linked with Annas yeah. and Sophia because uh-huh. it, it's such a clash. Because such you need a that violation you, of it. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. so beautiful. Mm-hmm. And this is so ugly. Yes. Um, I, I, I was. I mean, I have, I have been wondering what, what does it look like to be a church community who are all one in heart and soul. Yes. I mean, me pragmatically just says, well, it's not true. It might feel like that, but it's never true. It's never true that we're all one in heart and soul. And then you get this story which really confirms it. Well, they uh-huh. weren't. There was people in the in the community who were out for a completely different motive. But that doesn't mean it isn't what we should long for or even we might experience at times. So even when we experience church life and we think, oh, we really are all in one in heart and soul and we're worshipping together and we're serving together and this feels like what church should be, even when we know we experience that in our lives, there will be people who aren't might even be us, who aren't fully yes. fully engaged or in the right same place. But that doesn't mean it isn't happening or uh-huh. isn't real. And that, and some of that could be around all sorts of different motivations, couldn't it? So yeah. so it could be around um, the you think you th- I think of Ananias and Sapphira, and I think of greed, but actually I think it's quite interesting that, that the previous verses are the verses about about Barnabas, yeah. So Joseph the Levite, who's obviously and and what we know of him from everything we read in Acts, I love Barnabas. He's one of my favorite characters <laughs> mm. because he's a son of encouragement, and you just feel he's always kind of like in about it, just keeping people <laughs> encouraged and spurring them on. So I can't think that it would be any different here. Mm. <laughs> and so you begin to think, well, is it also about comparison? Yeah, want I want to people be... to look at me the way yeah. they look at Barnabas, so I'm going to pretend that I've... Yeah, because I can't actually do that. Aha. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Could you, could you imagine a scenario where Barnabas had said to Ananias and Sapphira, oh, you've got that field, why... You know, you could sell that as well. It'd be great. And then they all said, oh, yeah, we'll do that. Uh-huh. And look, here's all the money that we made. You know, it, it feels such a, it just feels, it feels serious because it's so different from what everyone else is doing. Mm-hmm. And it feels like yeah. a threat to the church. Mm-hmm. But like what Jen said earlier, I just look at myself and go, oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. I th- I mean, the, the the big part of the crime, as you say, it's not just greed, because if they were purely greedy, they wouldn't have sold the field in the first place. But there's an element of greed because they're almost, they want to hold on to a little bit. They can't give it all to God, but they want to be seen as if they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you've got the phrase in the in chapter 4, verse 33, I know we're reading from the book that doesn't have chapters, but um, in verses, but it says God's grace was so powerfully at work mm. in them all. And uh-huh. then we have this story that doesn't exude any grace whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. So God's grace is powerfully at work, but these people have dropped down dead because of their behaviour. But, but also God's grace is powerfully at work and somehow they've chosen to be selfish and hip- hypocritical. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I wonder if I have less sympathy for them than, than the two of you do. <laughs> I, I just think I know quite a lot of devious people. <laughs> <laughs> or I have encountered, and I, and I say that fully, I'm completely in agreement, Neil, with what you've just said about it really makes me 
feel very uncomfortable, very challenged about my own behavior. Mm. But I also have quite a cynical view of human nature, I think. Yeah, and it's a real it's it's obviously perceived that that cynical view is perceived as a, such a threat to the church. But it's it's also such a threat. It's almost like Anasize, that way that they die, which almost seems to come within themselves. They cannot conceive of grace for themselves. Uh-huh. You know, I often imagine a ver- another version of the Gospels where Judas goes back to Jesus and says, Jesus, I cannot believe what I've done. Would you forgive me? What would have happened in that uh-huh. version yeah. of the Bible? Uh-huh. But Judas never even risks that. Yeah. yeah. And it's yeah. almost like here... Neither of them are even prepared to move into grace and say, God, can you find me a way through this, please? Yes. Yeah, I did read a commentary that talked about the comparison of how Jesus treated Judas and how Peter speaks to Annas and Sapphira. Like there was, you know, the Last Supper when Judas leaves, there's no, Jesus isn't, you know, go and do what you have to do. There's no sense of, you know, you've, you're doing this terrible thing and you deserve to die. Which, well, I, Peter doesn't quite say that. <laughs> I, feel, I feel his behaviour towards Annas and Sophia is... I don't, I'm not going to hesitate to say not Jesus-like. Not Jesus-like in some circumstances because Jesus was very severe and direct with some people. Are we lifting it? So I'm, I'm looking back here at verse 3 of chapter 5. Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your mm-hmm. heart? Mm-hmm. Peter very quickly doesn't say, Ananias, you're greedy or you're yeah. comparing yourself to Barnabas. Or it, He's very clear about what's going on here, that Satan is at work amongst them. Yeah, it's spiritual. It's mm-hmm. a spiritual crime, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's so haunting. I mean, yeah. I, I, I know I hate, I hate part of this story. You know, I was almost... The minute we said we were going to do Acts, I was like, oh, we're going to have to do Ananias and Sapphira. But also reading that the severity does have a power. You know, that what's uh-huh. the verse at the end the, um, where it says great fear came upon the whole church? Yeah, verse 11. You think, well, some, you know, we need that bit of the story to, to speak to us. So if you it, think there maybe is a possibility that when Peter asks all these questions of Ananias. Ananias could have said, I don't know why I did that. I'm really, really sorry. I want forgiveness. But he couldn't do that, so he fell down dead. There doesn't feel enough time in the story. It's so instant, doesn't it? But there's almost a predisposition that he's beyond grace. I mean, we're into the realm of spiritual Holy Spirit, Satan involved here. All I can think of is the contrast with Peter himself, where he breaks down and Mm-hmm. but somehow hangs around enough on resurrection morning to go and visit the tomb. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I just I just cling to grace here. I'm like, God, please help, because if this is down to me here, I'm in trouble. Yeah, yeah. Yes, and and it's grace is so at the heart of the whole point, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> uh, so I was thinking about the 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 par- parable of the prodigal son yesterday for something else. Um, and, and I think that's the that whole thing about the older brother living not under grace is is enormous in that parable. And, and you know, and I think the reason we probably feel uncomfortable is, like any good retelling of the lost son, usually if you're if you're somebody who's a person of faith, it's not the younger son that you identify with. It's that it's that older son who's yeah, who's. Yeah always defaulting back to to wanting to do things on his own merits and feeling then feeling aggrieved yeah 
the other thing that it takes me to, though, is, you know, if this had happened in our church, we'd have said, oh, I wish you hadn't done that. And that yes. probably would have been, you know, we we tolerate lukewarmness, don't we? Whereas yeah. Peter is, and the apostles and God, it would appear, Holy Spirit is not prepared to commit, to tolerate uh, a holding back. I, was, I mean, it's so just speaks to me so much about leadership in the church, courage. I mean, yeah, I, and, do you know how I feel? The feeling I have, sorry, Fiona. I know you. I remember always when I used to get piano lessons when I was a kid and halfway through the piano lesson, it was obvious I hadn't practiced <laughs> and I just felt so bad. I just wanted to leave there and then and practice and get better. This is what that story makes me feel. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Sorry, I interrupted you. No, no, not at all. No, what I was going to say was I think in our current times, I just am very aware of there are a lot of scandals at the moment. There are a lot of leadership failings and fallings. And and this speaks to that because actually what we know of that community of grace is it's full of tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes and all the rest of it living under grace. But the the, the sin that, that is the serious, super serious sin is the hypocrisy of lying to God, isn't it? Yeah, is it? I was at a safeguarding training on Monday night doing my refresher, and I've got to say the woman that was leading it was the best person in the Church of Scotland context that has led safeguarding. She was very, very good. Um, and she said at one point, all safeguarding issues come back to the misuse of power. Now I need to maybe think about that a bit more, but I think she's right. And I, so I'm now wondering, is this a misuse of power from? Ananias and Sapphira because they had the power to use that money for good. Yeah. And they kept it back to do their own thing. Yeah. And and in a safeguarding context, we could, when we misuse our power, that power could have been so powerful. That's <laughs> a very pathetic use of words. <laughs> that power could have been so effective. Uh-huh. But if we get it wrong, it's so damaging. Yeah. So it's, it's such a, it's like being in a, tightrope <laughs> mm-hmm. it's very easy to fall it also I'm, i feel i'm the, the, the parable queen here today but I, it reminds me also of the parable of the you know the the, the sons who one who whom says he'll do the thing and he doesn't mm. and the other mm. who yep. refuses to do it and then later on does it a mistold pa- an often missed parable that aha uh-huh. yeah yep yeah because actually it's it's your fruit that yeah is the mark not not yep. your promise <laughs> yeah yeah. yeah, it's not what you said you did, it's what you did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So sobering, sobering is shift in the narrative because up till now it's been, you know, it's been pretty, yeah. Uh, it's been great. It's been it's great. It's all yeah. been great. And even though they've been warned not to speak about Jesus, it's been it's been great. And then we hit this this uh, satanic attack. That's how Peter describes it. Then we then we shift into a healing encounter, or or not just, but but basically the the description of of what's going on that there are healings happening, mm. um, and wonders, signs and wonders. Even Peter's shadow, very strange, falling on people. <laughs> what do we make of that? Neil, does your shadow bring healing? <laughs> in I wish. I mean, it goes back to the conversation we had about Cameron Petty, yeah, in the last podcast. But yeah, I I just love this, but I love the. The fact that even your shadow could touch somebody. I mean, the shadow is just simply the absence of light because you're near. I mean, Luke might be using a figure of speech at this point. I, I don't know. And uh, all, 
and maybe he's just describing the hope that they have. It does. It, does yes, it doesn't actually. actually yeah, it doesn't actually yeah. say that anyone's healed as a result of the shadow. But I love that power, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I, I can't help but think it's linked to the Ananias and Sapphira story. Does mm-hmm. mm. it? Is it something you're saying that maybe, maybe the shadow wasn't doing anything? But is that is that how it felt? You know, people were being healed. So is that how it felt that even the, the even the very presence of Peter, they were being touched by God, and transformed. Yes. And I think that it's and my response is well, that's really odd. I really wouldn't want to be encouraging that. <laughs> people <laughs> thinking their shadows can heal people. Um but we don't want to minimize um what God can do. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Well, especially after that last thing we just read. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It, my mind went to um Mark Sayers, who's the he's the pastor of Red is it Red Church in Melbourne? Um, and he's got a podcast that a lot of people have been listening to through, through the pandemic. And he's he's written a book called A Non-Anxious Presence. And that's his contention that in a world of chaos and change and uncertainty, what the Christian brings to the environment is is that the non-anxious presence of God. Mm. And I've been thinking about that a lot because I, I don't think it should be an excuse not to speak about the gospel or to, to take action. But there is something uh, about knowing as a believer, you bring the presence of the Holy Spirit. Of course, the Holy Spirit's already there, but we know that. But but you, you we, we bring the active presence of the Holy Spirit into a situation and into uncertainty. Mm. Am I off beam thinking about that? I, th- I think that that's what this, this reminded me of. I don't think so. Even Peter walking by was a yeah. was a, 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 a reassurance of the presence of God. Yeah, so Peter could have prayed a prayer that said, Dear Lord, please heal everybody in Jerusalem. And, but he didn't. He... The, the very fact that somehow he was proximate to people. You know, our faith is an embodied faith. We, it's our, our bodies are the places where the Holy, you know, as you've just said, the, the non-anxious presence is, is present. Yeah, so bodies matter. Places matter. People, where mm. you are matters. Going, showing up matters. It's like the bit where, you know, and it, it, and it depends on context as well. So, the famous example of Jesus with the centurion's servant, Jesus says, I don't have to go uh, to to there. Uh, all I need to do is, um, is is give the word. Similarly with the woman, Syrophoenician woman. So there's something there about people with great faith at a distance. But that woman who lunges forward to touch Jesus, mm-hmm. physical presence is really important to that. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it comes back to, Jen, what you said about, you know, some to some extent, God, can work in the way God works and th- there may not be a, an obvious pattern or a predictability yeah. to that. Yeah. But so again, it's like, it's like the roller coaster of this narrative, isn't it? So this is all feeling really great again. They're out and about, the word is spreading, but of course that then causes uh, a, a response from the, the religious authorities. So from verse 17 and particularly them being brought um, before the Sanhedrin. So what, what again, what do we make of what's happening happening in amongst the Sanhedrin? What do we make about Gamaliel as a character? Just before we get to Gamaliel, can we just talk about, um, so the fact that they're arrested and then during the night, the angel of the Lord. And oh, yes, yeah, sorry. I actually did mean to ask that. I forgot yeah. that bit was in there. Sorry. I love this this story, the, the apostles. It looks like all of them are put in prison. Um, so the whole big group of them in the public prison. And during the night, an angel of the Lord comes, opens the prison doors. And I love that phrase, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. I particularly like it because in Greek it says, go and speak the words of this Zoe. So my uh, uh, daughter's called Zoe. Yeah. Um, 
But it also makes me think of a story that David Easton, who uh, many of us know because he was minister in Burnside Blair Beth for many years. His dad was a missionary in South South America. I can't, where was he? Was Columbia. It, it was Columbia. And he was handing out tracts, uh, gospel tracts outside a cathedral, I think it was. And a, a crowd began to gather and a, it became obvious that the crowd was becoming quite hostile. And a, it got more and more agitated. And David Easton's dad was beginning to think, this could be, I could be in quite a lot of trouble here. When suddenly through the crowd came a man that he had never known before and grabbed him. And they walked, this, this man grabbed him, put him and walked through the crowd. It was almost as if the crowd just parted where they were, all the way down to the railway station. I think they were being followed by this angry crowd. And at the railway station, uh, the the man uh, opened a door on the platform, which went into some kind of storeroom, put David Easton's dad inside and just said, stay there. Meanwhile, the crowd's outside, banging away. They can't get in. And his dad is there for, I think, two hours or whatever, when the train draws up to the platform, suddenly the the door of the storeroom opens again. The man reappears, put David Eason's dad straight onto the train again, and it drives off and he's perfectly safe. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I've heard that story many times from David. It's incredible. That's, a, that's an amazing story. Yeah. I mean, it, does, it does feel like that. This, yeah. this encounter feels like that, doesn't it? I want to know what the man looks like. I should, I, but David, I, I see David every Sunday, so I should ask him. Can you remember how his you dad described the man? Interesting. I feel I'm slightly lost for words at that, actually, to be honest. So, yeah, so there is that, that yeah, these, these are kind of miraculous. The miraculous release comes, and then that causes panic, doesn't it? Hmm. And then, and then somebody says, "Oh no, but look, the, 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 the ones you put in jail—they're in the temple courts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bring them. Oh, the ones that are in the temple. <laughs> it is. There's a kind of humour to that. Uh, but then they are brought before, and this this time feels more serious than the last time, doesn't it? It feels like they're starting to get quite agitated. I enjoyed um, Tom Wright had an analogy about theatre. I don't know if anybody, either of you, read his uh, commentary. Of this he talked about if there was a, an amazing performance happening somewhere like the Albert Hall, and then a little group of musicians started playing outside. Mm-hmm. And to begin with, you'd be like, "Oh, that's quite nice." There's, you know, some buskers outside. But if the buskers started growing more, more and more of a crowd, and then people were no longer paying the ticket price to go into the Albert Hall because actually, the, the, what was being played outside was far more interesting that would give a little tiny indication of how the Sanhedrin might have been feeling about all of this that all of this is going on in the temple courts and people are being drawn to it people are being healed there's a there's a growth movement and actually there's a fear that that they're losing their power in all of that I I wanted to add to what Neil said about the life thing I just I think that is so brilliant they're not told to go and talk about this religion or this set of beliefs or anything that sounds very dull and uninteresting they're told to go and talk about the life they're living, the uh-huh. life that they've been given in Jesus. It's great. I don't think I hadn't never noticed that before in the way I did. Yeah, yeah. And so the the, the that community of grace that we spoke about with the mm. Ananias and Sapphira mm. thing, isn't it? it there's mm. there's something life filled about all of that that's going on. Um then then they are challenged. What do we make of Gamaliel? And back to the question that I jumped ahead. Well does he does bring sense to the situation, mm. doesn't he? He stops uh-huh. he, he so important at times of like this. I mean, you can just imagine what's going on. Everybody's talking about it. The, these people who have appeared in the temple have been put in the jail, and he he just comes across as a voice of reason and sanity. And 
you just stop a minute and think about this. Yeah. You know, what yeah. if what if this is really from God? Yes. And you wonder what he's thinking at that point. I'm left wondering about him. Because is he is he putting forward a reasoned argument? Mm. Or or is he genuinely himself questioning? I think there's a touch of the Nicodemus about him. Well, I wonder. Yeah, I wonder. Leave these men alone. Let them go. Uh huh. For their purpose or activities of human origin, it will fail. But if it's from God, you won't be able to stop them. Uh huh. It sounds Uh like. Well, I don't know. Sounds like he's something's happening in his life. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. You might even be found opposing God. He says. Yes. Yes. Well, it does bring us back to people like Nicodemus, doesn't it? Yeah, and yeah. Joseph of Arimathea, the, the, the influence they they would have had on this group of people. Mm-hmm. So even even if they were no longer seeing Joseph of Arimathea and, and Nicodemus because they you know shunned them, yeah. they would nonetheless be aware. Oh, wait a minute, Nicodemus. Mm-hmm. Wait a minute, Joseph of Arimathea. Oh. Um, Gilmaliel is a revered figure in Judaism. Yes. He was related to Rabbi Hillel. And there's a, I think he was called the Prince and our master, and when he died, I think one of the one of the annals, it's in the Mishnah, uh, since Rabban Gamaliel the elder died, there has been no more reverence for the law and purity and piety died out at the same time. Wow. Mm. So, wow. And yeah. he was influential influential on Saul. Yeah, yeah, Paul that's right. As well. So he's part of the great tradition. Yes. Um he he cites two incidents mm. of things that have come to nothing. And there is a little bit of Dubiety about whether he's got that right, whether Luke's got that right, whether Josephus, the historian, has recorded that right. Oh, this take, yeah, this takes us into tricky territory. Uh huh. Because um, in Josephus, who's the great historian of this period, he mentions um, these two characters with the same name, Theudas and Judas the Galilean. The problem, I think, is I think it's Theudas comes a few years after Gamaliel. Yeah. So people have either said, oh, well, Luke's got that wrong. Um, he's just picked up those names from Josephus. Or some people say, oh, there's, Josephus mentions thousands of people who had revolts. So just, and ju- these are fairly common names. So I wouldn't read too much into this. Um, yeah, I. I mean, we take we we were we've been thinking about this, haven't we? That the Luke is stunningly accurate when it comes to certain parts of the historical record. Mm-hmm. Um, later on, he gets boundary names right, and he gets various leaders in in various Greek cities exactly right. He, he's brilliant. At other points, he seems to be moving things around a little bit to make a theological point uh, and the reason we know that is by comparing things with Paul's chronology in Galatians. At the same time I'm, and this is slightly controversial but I think we have to trust God to give us the Bible we have rather than the Bible we think God ought to have given us. Not so much here because I, I think it's fairly easy to say there were lots of revolts and we don't know for sure what was going on. Yeah. But uh, the famous example is when Luke talks about the census in Luke chapter 2 and I'm almost scared to say this because it, it it's but we have to trust God that God knew what God is doing when he gives us the scripture. When it talks about Quirinius and Herod and a census, it is really hard to square those up historically with what happens. Mm. It, it, and people jump through all sorts of hoops trying to get it to fit. And yeah. you can. There, there's ways of doing it. Yeah, you can if you're really, really desperate to. But I just think you end up contorting the text so much I think we've just got to accept at times this is a historical document and has some of the same things that we expect in other histories 
going on and that's what God has given us. And I still think Luke is a stunning theologian and historian and has given us an incredible record of the early church. Yeah. And and that's not really altered for me by these sorts of questions. I mean, is that a similar argument to, you know, think about the Gospels, for example, that, mm. that they are told in different ways? And it's an indication that, that, that whilst it is a divinely ordained text, it's, it, it's come through human account. Yeah, yeah. And God's been part of that process. Mm-hmm. And it, almost every single historical problem, you can find a way through it. Yeah. You, you can come up with a scenario that, that's plausible, that, that meets both. There was, um, I was reading something in Matthew the other day where he heals two men. Oh, it's the Gerasene demoniacs, you know, the, the, and, and in Matthew, there's two of them. And it just seems really odd that in Mark's version of the story, there's only one. And you think, well, what's, what's going on there? You know, did Mark just forget? You can, you can always come up with a thing where you just say, well, Mark omitted to mention that there was a second one. Now, it's kind of odd that Mark doesn't do that. And the, the story seems kind of weird if, in Mark's telling of it if there's another person there. But yeah, that's true. Uh-huh. Yeah. But I just think you can tort the text so much with these extra little bits that you've got to add on to get it all to work. That in the end, I'd rather just take the Bible as it is. It used to become a sort of, like you're trying to defend it all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, so if our job is to defend this, defend that, this is true, this is accurate, um, when actually we need to do what the disciples, uh, the new church has been told to do and go out and talk about the life that yes. we find in the Bible. Yes. Yeah, that's yep. helpful, Jen. Yeah, that's really helpful. There is not so they then release they release them, but there's it's pretty brutal. I I do find the account of you know they had them flogged and then you and you read past that, but actually think that is it's brutal, isn't it? And also that they're they're beaten up uh-huh. and told not to speak. Uh huh. And then they're off rejoicing because, uh-huh. because they've been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. And I just like I. It's so not me. I'd be like, uh-huh. okay, okay, I'm not going to say anything. That's like, <laughs> yes, I'm yes. going to go home and bathe my wounds and get some help. And maybe I'm the only person that thinks of that. But that that that's how I imagine myself reacting. And, yeah. And, but they don't react like that at all. No, they're, they don't. they're rejoicing, and they are utterly clear that there is that their accountability is to God and not to yeah. to human authorities. There is interesting, yeah. isn't it? Two kinds of stories here. This reminds me of Paul and Silas later on where they'll be beaten up and in the prison and they'll be singing hymns at midnight. But there are also stories. Ian Fraser tells a story of meeting a woman in the Philippines who had been taken in by the security forces. And when she came back, she she was in a state where she hardly said anything to anybody. She was clearly horrendous things had happened to this woman. And Ian Fraser, who was a Scottish minister, he he guessed that she had probably given away the names of other church members out of um, under torture and he pronounced forgiveness for her and mercy for her and I want to put her story alongside this sort of story here. We've had I suppose two different types of persecution haven't we? We've had the internal persecution mm. in the in the Ananias story and then that persecution coming from the authorities. And then I guess that the final persecution at the beginning of chapter six is the danger of getting caught up in all the busyness. Yeah. Yeah, isn't it interesting how those three are set together? Three great enemies of the church, loss of integrity, persecution, and what, busyness, distraction, distraction. dispute, was, conflict. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely... Bad organisation. Yeah. 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 
with hint, bit, hints of racial prejudice. Yes, yes. But yeah, it, is, can, it is often the way, isn't it, that, that the practicalities of running an organisation and leading a large group of people can become a complete mm. distraction to what you're meant to be doing. Yeah. Think yeah. about Moses and the, you know, when um, Jethro comes and says to him, right, you need to mm. get some other people to help you here. Can I, I meant to look up the difference between a Hellenistic Jew and a Hebraic Jew. Did one of you get that? Yeah, there's some discussion about this. Um, it People are not clear. Because, I mean, they're all Jews. I think it might be language. That would be is my... It? Yeah, my instinct that your first is your first language Greek or your first language first language well Aramaic, um, but there's definitely what what I think is really important here is that the church is what you might call a heterogeneous organisation. It's made up of of different groups of people, and mm-hmm. the church will always be that, but it will always have the tensions because it will have to hold together those two sorts of groups. Together, And I'm sure we've all been in churches where there'll be different groups who've got different backgrounds. And I, I think one of the ways that the church shows itself to be truly the church is it, it can hold that diversity together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was also thinking about diversity within the giftings as well. We, we keep coming back to this gifting of administration. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. There's, there's, a, there's a diversity there among some people are, are the ones who are going to do... Mm-hmm. The preaching and the and the, the evangelism. Some people are going to, you know, organise the waiting on the tables, and and actually that's a deeply spiritual role because because yeah. I guess it sets us up to think about Stephen, doesn't it? Who will we'll yeah. talk about next time? So the next yeah. sermon that you're going to hear, Stephen. Steve. Mm-hmm. But these these um, these men who were chosen to do the so-called practical task mm-hmm. are full of the spirit and wisdom. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. It, it wasn't yes. like oh they're not very good. Mm. Uh, following Jesus, or, or they're just learning, or or they've just come to the church. Yes, <laughs> or they're, or they're not. They're not ready to be elders yet, but we'll ask them to go on the board. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. They're full of the spirit and wisdom, yeah. And, yeah. and and there's no. The tasks themselves have different outcomes, but I don't think you get the sense that in God's perspective, the Holy Spirit's perspective, that it makes us any better people. Which actually comes back to our power and safeguarding again, actually, because we elevate certain giftings so much that the people are then put way beyond ordinary people and then problems may happen. So, Jen, what you're saying makes me think that there's different ways of reading verse 2. You could say, and this this way would go against what you say, the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. (laughs) <laughs> you could say it that way, uh-huh, or yeah. you could remember the fact that Jesus called the person who serves the most important role, and you could mm-hmm. say it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. I can't; I'm not as good an actress yes. actor as you, <laughs> Fiona, but you know that it, it could be yeah. said reverently. That yes, part. yes, yeah. 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 It's not just it's not it's not what we can't neglect preaching the word to do this menial task. Is no. that this this task is really important, and we mm-hmm. need to do both tasks. Both tasks are important. I, I mean, I don't know if I told this story before, but when we went into lockdown um, as a messy church, because there was somebody in our messy church family who had done a pretty good job of administration, and actually after lockdown, we've done, she's done an even better job. But um, we we had a list of everybody who came to our messy church. We knew who they were, where they stayed, we'd contact numbers for them. Um, a seemingly basic task had been done well 
Mm-hmm. But because of that, when lockdown hit, we were able to contact all the families that came to mm-hmm. Messy Church. We were able mm-hmm. to go and visit them and had great conversations on the doorstep and give them gifts and all these kind of things. And at the point that ministry needs all these things. Yes. And, yes. and, I, and I remember speaking to other Messy Churches at the time who were saying things like, oh, we haven't been able to do anything because we don't know who the people are that came. Yeah, and coming back to your point about safeguarding as well, it it's like all of these things... Um, by 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 sorting it out before it becomes a huge issue, they stop it becoming a huge issue. Yeah, that's right. You know, yeah. in the same way that you know behavior management or safeguarding or keeping a list of who's there. You know, all of these things actually, they do seem like they're slightly dull things, but but they they they, they really do effectively stop distraction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, you know, and and it, and it does come alongside the integrity issue with Ananias Sapphira and the and the the, the, mm-hmm. the brutal persecution so i don't know does that mean that you know there's there's like almost an equal weighting to some of that it's also the importance of setting apart things to be done because if you don't say to people this is what you your gift is and we want you to do then we could work either way you you could everybody could end up in the kitchen or setting the tables and and nobody's preaching the word or it could mm-hmm. end up everybody trying to preach the word and nobody sent the table. So you know, it could work both ways. Yes. You, you, you've got to, I mean, I was just having a conversation with somebody the other day about someone who needs to do something else in our church now. And uh, well, but then we need to let them not do the other thing that we're doing. Uh-huh. You, need to, you need to say to them, this is the thing that we need you to do. Yeah. 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 So uh, can we get some takeaways from what we've talked about today? Oh well, I suppose my gut reaction is to keep on examining my life. So mm-hmm. I don't, I'm, and there's nothing there that was like Hannah and Safira, but no. I'm not sure that how helpful that is because I do know that God has forgiven me and filled me with, given me His grace. I'm, I'm not sure how helpful that is. I feel I should look for another one. I think the one about talking about the life. I think mm. for me that it's not about a system or a process. Just take, keep taking the opportunities to talk about life. And that thing you said, Fiona, about. Or Neil, I don't know who it was, but walking into the room and you bring the Holy Spirit with you. And I know that's mm. not completely the full picture, but I think it's a good reminder. I'd be the same as you, Jen, in the sense of that that need to have the public align with the private. And that's that's yeah. Like you say, I think you were hinting you cannot there would be an unhealthiness to of dwelling in that too long. Mm. But at the same time, this is a story which makes you go there. Hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's yeah. the Ananias Sapphira story. Yeah, well, for me, I think it's the, it's the bit after that actually about the embold the emboldened mm. nature of mm. what they were doing. It's to be a bit more emboldened by the Spirit to go where He calls me to go. What was that word you used to, at one point? Don't be pusillanimous. Pusillanimous. Yes. <laughs> that was before we started speaking. Sorry. <laughs> I do like pusillanimous as a as a word, not as a not as a concept. Yeah, be a bit less pusillanimous. Was that's my that's my takeaway. Actually, having faith that God is bigger than the authorities and the some of the pressures that we're mm. that we we sit under at the moment. I think so that that would be my takeaway. Yeah. Good. Uh, now it is time, just time, time before we finish for some breaking news. So now, what's the gem? Trying to keep what's up with gem? reports, trends, research findings, and the latest thoughts. No time to what's read or listen to all that valuable content. Look no further. What's the gen will keep you up to date, in touch, and on the ball. What's the gen? Your guide to current thinking. What's the gen? Today I want to talk about um, a bit of research that was done in Glasgow. That's always good, isn't it? In uh, 2012 by 
Giselle, Vincent, Elizabeth Olsen, Peter Hopkins and Rachel Payne. And um, it's called Young People and Performance Christianity in Scotland and it's really all about how the religious life, that's the term they would use, um, has altered for young adults um, in our time, although 2012 is a wee while ago, but I think it's still pertinent. Um, there's lots of things in the research, but there's one thing I want to bring out is that the reality of these young people they studied of their Christian life, so they were all aged about 17 plus. And although the home church was really important to them, and that intergenerational experience was really important to them, that they found in these home churches, for nearly all of them, whether virtually or physically, they had other spaces that they went to, you know, big events, other churches, festivals, um, small groups, where they spoke to other Christians, read the Bible, eh, and their faith grew, uh, and they worshipped. And the thing I, I used this bit of research in a in a piece of research I did for my master's degree, and the young people I was I was working with in that research eh, were younger; they were all under sixteen. And I think the challenge from this research for me is that, and all of us, how how do we help young people who are under 16 to have those experiences mm -hmm. so because because they don't have the mobility they can't just go off and do their own thing because they're much younger and they don't have cars or they it's not as easy to jump in a bus and go somewhere else and it's just a challenge to us if we're involved in youth groups or you know that we need to be making the effort to take our little group because generally will be a little group <laughs> of young people even a medium-sized group to other things. You know, what yes. could you take them to? Yes. Um, could you go to a festival? Could you go to a camp? Could you go to a, a, an event in, in the city centre that some organisation is running that has got, they'll meet other Christians and they'll experience different kind of worship? And that might make time, time it might take time and effort, maybe harder as well if you live in a more rural location. Um, even if there's only once a year, um, find something to go to, get the permission slips, make the effort and do it because it, it matters in our culture that, uh, young people's church experience isn't just their church family and the one that they, they go to regularly. Um, yeah. So it's just a challenge really from that research that we need that and our, our young people need that. Great. And where can people find that, Jen? Well, there is a link in the show notes. Um, the link is to a academic journal. So I don't think any, not maybe somebody will have access to it, but you'll get the abstract and the, the flavour of it. But really... It, you know, I mean, yes, you could try and find it and read the whole thing, but I think that's the bit for that I'd like to encourage us to do to to make sure we're doing that with the young people we're working. Yeah, with. it'd be quite interesting, wouldn't it, to to revisit that research wise post COVID. Mm. Oh, yeah, because I wonder if there's a hesitancy amongst leaders to 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 reengage yeah. in some of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A supplementary question to you on that, Jane. Um, what I, the minute? So I'm hearing that and go. That is really good. We should do that. What kind of events and I know this will not be an exhaustive list but what kind of events fit that bill for you that that could be a starter for people to look at well I don't I don't want to be limited in it mm. um so you've got the classic in Scotland the scripture union holidays which you know they're the big events for young people and I think I think often we think oh you, you just sort of send your young people to that like book up see you when you come back but you know Maybe you could go with them. Maybe you could even go and cook in the kitchen and they could be there. So you're actually experiencing together. Or or even if you can't go with them, you'll give them a lift or to the event or encourage them to book up. And and, and I mean, my church has a, we have people give to a specific fund um, so we can financially support young people to go to SU holidays. You know, there's things, I, I suppose it, um, this is challenging myself. It's not just physically being with them there, but 
being the gatekeepers means Enabling more than it. taking them. Mm-hmm. So it's actually holidays. Um, there's Magnitude, which is a big uh, Christian festival, which is happening in July. Th- there's also there's... Magnitude Worship Nights. Yeah, I, I would yeah. recommend that. So that's that's localized events spinning off through the year from Magnitude, which is a because I always think these kind of things. It's, sometimes it's a big ask to ask somebody to go to a festival for four days or a camp for seven days, but come to a thing in an evening. And there's also, there's also Equip, which is a scripture union event around the country in various locations. Get Does that all on the still exist? I think Not that's a, been rolled into Magnitude. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Abernethy, I'd get in trouble if I didn't mention that. Yes, of course. Yeah. Um, but Or just talk to your local, your other local youth leaders. Yeah, and do yeah. something together. And do something together. And it doesn't need to be, I always think it does, it can be quite lightweight, yeah. what you do, you know, as in not heavy on the preparation. Yeah, we... In my home church, we've we've joined up once a month with another local church youth group, and even the fact that it go we go from each of us having twelve young people to twenty four once mm. a month, it feels different. Mm-hmm. They get to, there's more spread of ages, so the older ones don't feel it's just younger ones, and just better conversations. Our, our Bible study group we've brought these people and brought them in as well. We've joined that up, and it's just more people to talk about the Bible. It's great, brilliant. Good. We're going to cut it short because we are already way over our time. (laughs) Now, listen, thank you both for joining us. Next time, we're going to be discussing Acts chapter 6, verse 8 through to 7, verse 60. So it's the account of Stephen. Um, Don't forget also to let us know what you are listening to, other podcasts, be they Christian, be they secular, everything in between. And address for correspondence, of course, is outspoken at scottishbiblesociety.org. Join us next time. The Outspoken Bible is a podcast from Scottish Bible Society. To find ways you can share the Bible, go to scottishbiblesociety.org.